Thank you. You may be seated. I would invite you, if you have your Bibles this morning, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at the, the whole chapter. Uh, just previously, Paul has spoken uh, of what wisdom from the Spirit is. And he gives us this very interesting term to kind of set up this framework of what he calls spiritual people. What Paul is going to pick up today, though, is a contrast with this spiritual people with the Corinthians. He says, here's what spiritual people look like. And church in Corinth, it's not you. You look very different than they do. You are fleshly people. But what's interesting about chapter 3 is the way that Paul calls them fleshly people. Or, or better yet, why he calls them fleshly people. He calls them fleshly people, interestingly enough, by what they boast in. But, but behind that view of what they're boasting in is actually what Paul is getting at that makes them fleshly people. It's a different question. Not only what are you boasting in, but the question behind the question is actually this. What are you longing for? Are you longing for a kingdom that is for you? A kingdom where you get to be the king? Or are you longing for and boasting in the kingdom of Christ? We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you have given us a sure and true word. Lord, now as we study these things, may we not do so with fleshly eyes, but with eyes given to us by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we ask now for eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. 
You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. <coughs> do, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one Boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. So Paul is putting before our face this day the question, what are you boasting in? But tied up with that question is also the other question, what are you longing for? What sort of kingdom are you seeking to build? What you're boasting in will tell you the kind of kingdom that you're longing for and expecting. And Paul actually opens up this section by, by looking at the reality of what the church in Corinth is doing by boasting in people. Paul will open by saying that, that he can't even address them as spiritual people. What he's just talked about before, the beauty uh, of, uh, of Christ's bride are these spiritual people. They're indwelt by the very spirit of God. They have this wisdom from the spirit. And then Paul contrasts that to say, I can't call you that. You're people of the flesh. You're babies in Christ. <clears throat> and it mourns Paul, in fact, that they're not maturing as Christians. They're just not growing. And that should be something that concerns each of us. If you have a baby and you're, you're raising them and they're not growing at all, then that's an issue. And here Paul is, he's poured his life into this church. He's built this foundation. He's laid the gospel before them. He's, he's poured his life, and yet they're still just infants. But why? Why are they infants? Why aren't they growing? Paul will answer that, verse 3. 
you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Their jealousy and their strife and their divisiveness is stunting their spiritual growth. Paul lays it out before them uh, that, that here they, they've, they've built these, these ideas and these teams and, and this has created a massive amount of divisiveness in the church. People are jealous of each other. People are, are deeply in contention with one another. All that to say their growth has been stunted because of this. The church in Corinth thinks that the kingdom of heaven operates like the kingdom of this world. How does it operate? It operates by winning. If you want to move the church along, if you want to build the church, if you want to grow it, then what do you have to do? Win at all costs. You have to beat the other team. That's what you have to do. And it doesn't matter what it takes to get there. If you've got to grind people into the ground, do it. Win. That's the community that has been built in Corinth. My team must beat your team because if my team doesn't win, then all hope is lost. It's interesting that though this church in Corinth occurred 2,000 years ago, is that not how the church all too often operates? My team must win because the kingdom of God depends on my team winning. My brand moving forward. We've created communities of crisis in order that we can push our power and leverage it, pushing our people and pushing our brand Here's a wonderfully freeing solution, though, that Paul is going to get at, tied up with this, that the way that jealousy and strife and divisiveness and tension and this mentality of winning is resolved in the church is this. Christ doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my team to win. Christ, in fact, more than anything else, needs us to know that the kingdom is not ours, it's his. That we must not be dependent on this personality or that personality or this movement or that movement or, or this brand being pushed forward or this book coming out that's going to change the world. Christ actually needs and what will set us free to serve him without jealousy and strife and tension is this reality that the only thing that the kingdom of heaven needs is her king and he sits ruling and reigning now and he's doing a great job Though we might not see his plans and though we might not see what he's always doing at any given moment, what the church must see is that the only thing this kingdom needs is her king. 
he doesn't give up his throne to anyone. We must boast, not in people, but in Christ. Paul then goes on to uh, another boasting, though. Um, What have they been boasting in? They've been boasting in people, yes, but more than that, they're boasting in buildings. Uh, Verses 5 through 17, Paul will use a couple different illustrations and then get to a a certain reality. He begins by by looking at uh, this field illustration. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul is wanting us to see that there is a wonderful thing that the Lord does. The Lord uses fallible people like us, broken vessels, not because he is incapable of doing this work himself, but because he's bringing us in and we're getting to take part of the glorious work of the kingdom. But at the end of the day, Paul is not the one who brings the growth, and neither is Apollos. They get to be servants in their master's field, but only the master brings the growth. He, he then goes on to uh, another illustration uh, from, from the field and this agricultural illustration to, to another illustration, that uh, of a building. And, and he looks at this and you know, says, according to God's grace given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, one thing that Paul is doing here to resolve the tension and conflict and my team versus your team mentality in the church at Corinth is saying that You've missed the whole thing. It's not me versus Apollos, who's the better one. We're serving as one body. We're we're serving as one group to one end upon one foundation, and that foundation is Christ. The minute that you pit me against Apollos is the minute that you've totally missed what's going on here. You've missed the reality of the kingdom. You've missed what God is doing. Christ is the foundation, and he builds this glorious edifice. But then he he goes further to kind of contrast that a bit more. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, woods, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What Paul is getting at there is there are really two, two categories that could be. Once this foundation that Paul has laid, that is Christ, what occurs after that it is very important. What will you add or build upon this glorious foundation that is Christ? Will it be gold, silver, precious stones, things that will endure and exalt the spectacular foundation that they're upon? Or will it be things like wood, hay, stone, things that are vain and perishing and are burned up at this day? Platforms, performances, your brand, 
your power. Paul is calling the Corinthian church to say, you've lost sight of the whole point. You've looked around at the church and you've said, this is something that I have to make win. But verse 16 and 17 get to the very point. They've lost sight of the beauty that God is doing. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Any first century Jew hearing that would be astounded. The place where God is going to meet with his people is no longer a building, but a people themselves. The sheer majesty of the reality that Paul is painting here is absolutely astounding. How is it that the self-contained, self-existent, sovereign and eternal God has decreed that he will manifest his people to the world. He'll do it through this group of fallible people. He's going to physically manifest his kingdom by this group, the temple, the church. And all they can do is sit around and ask, whose team are you on? They've lost sight. They've turned the church into a competition instead of reveling in the sheer beauty and magnitude that our eternal God has declared that we are his people, that we're a city on a hill, that we are salt and light to a dark and dying world. And he's called us to this glorious end. Of course, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we lost sight too? Have we gotten so caught up in the rhetoric of this world? Have we forgotten the truth and the reality of this? That we're not a social club. And we're not a group that gets together every once in a while to sing songs and to hear an impactful message. We're so much more than that. We're the very temple of God. The place where he dwells with his people. The light for the world. Have we lost sight of this? Paul lays that question before us. But he resolves... Uh, what he's laid before by finishing out this way, giving us a solution by boasting in Christ and his kingdom. Verses 18 through 23, he opens this way. Let no one deceive himself. Paul already knows exactly where they are. How self-deceptive we can be when we have ringing in our ears the power is yours. The kingdom is yours. Here are the keys. Build what you want. 
Paul says, I know that that is deeply alluring, but don't deceive yourselves. The kingdom that you build is a pitiful kingdom. Don't deceive yourselves with even the mechanisms of this world. And, and what are those mechanisms that he's talking about? He, he, he's saying don't get drawn into this, this narrative to, to try to build up this kingdom that is the kingdom of you and your team. Don't get drawn into this mechanism. And in verse 21, he, he expounds on that just a little bit. So let no one boast in men. It's interesting that one of the biggest issues that is going on in the church in Corinth is name dropping. Of all things, name dropping. Um, and, and that's one thing that, especially as I, I went to seminary and then onwards, that I always have found so strange in Christian communities are the way that we name drop like it's going out of style. Uh, you know, a general conversation about the weather. I know, uh, you know the news guy from News Channel 5. It's tremendous. <laughs> I guess everybody kind of does. Uh, you know, it's seminary. Oh, yeah, you know, it's cool because I know Tim Keller. Awesome. It's cool. It's great, I guess. Uh I know this person or I know that. That's exactly what the Corinthian church is doing. I know Apollos. So, you should listen to me. But that's exactly what we do. We name drop. I know such and such a leader. I know such and such a scholar. I know such and such a celebrity. We do this because we not only want association by name, but actually it's far more sinister than that. What we really want is we're coveting what they have. I know such and such a leader, and I want their power. I know such and such a scholar, and I want their knowledge and credibility. I know such and such a celebrity, and I deeply covet their fame. This is what has been built in the church in Corinth. We've name dropped in order that we can leverage. But all that we've really done is cut down and covet what other people have. And that's us. But Paul has a very interesting solution. Um, and in true Pauline, punchy fashion, in essence, what he ends up saying is to this issue of name-dropping everything, that's really dumb. You covet and you name-drop what other people have when in reality, you have something far better. You want to fix the issue of your covetousness and your contention and your divisiveness? Here's a reality check. It's already yours. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, it's yours. And you're Christ's. And Christ is God's. 
What else do you need? You don't need fame. The God who created all things knows you. You don't need the knowledge of the scholars. You have the wisdom of the Spirit. You don't need power. The King of kings and Lord of lords went to the cross for you. What you're really looking for is a kingdom, but it's a bad one. When a far greater and more glorious kingdom with a far greater and more glorious king sits and says, but this is already yours. You just don't like the way that it looks because you're fleshly people. You still have little baby eyes that don't understand that this is what the kingdom looks like. You still have little baby longings that say, I want that toy, but the toys that you have are much better You still have little baby minds that don't understand this wisdom that Christ has laid before you. But it's far, far better. Don't covet these things. But be unified around this reality that you're the temple of God. That you're the kingdom of citizens, uh, citizens of a kingdom that can't be taken away. You're citizens of a kingdom with a far greater king. Paul is calling us to look beyond what is seen, to look beyond the things that we're so drawn to leverage and be deceived by, and to look instead to a king who is ruling and reigning A savior who upholds all things by the power of his word. And by the power of his word is keeping for us an inheritance. Imperishable and never fading. Brothers and sisters, may we boast in nothing else but in Christ, our crucified and resurrected Lord, who sits now on his throne, now and forevermore, and long for nothing else other than to see his will be done. And if we do that, the world will see the love of Christ displayed through his people. May that be our call. Jesus, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you now longing to see your kingdom with mature spiritual eyes, with hearts that are mature enough to understand these things, O Lord. May we cast from ourselves our strife and our vanity and our jealousy. May we cast away our, our pitiful branding and our power grabbing and look to a king and a kingdom that far transcends anything we could ask or hope for. Lord, we come now to this table and we see our king, who is a king that doesn't leverage his power but gives himself to the uttermost. And in giving himself to the uttermost, You've exalted him above every name.
and above every king, and even now, the myriad of angels that cry out, holy, holy, holy is he who alone is worthy to take and open the scrolls. May we look to that king and to his kingdom that you would be glorified by us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.